Psalm 40 sounds like this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. No one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but my ears you have pierced, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. There are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May all those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. We'll go that far this morning. There's just something about a psalm, isn't there? About the psalms. There's just something about them. They're they're awesome. We love them. We love them because somehow those spirit-filled words of those ancient hymns seem to sort of mimic the movements of the human soul. And they do it pretty much perfectly. The Psalms are really important to us. For instance, when a loved one dies, we hold tightly. We hold on to tightly the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want And we acknowledge that we need God to lead us to green pastures because life stinks right now. And we need God to bring us to fresh waters because life is really hard right now. We hold tightly to these psalms. And sometimes when a new baby is born, we get all excited and we might not sing these exact words, but our soul sort of says, praise the Lord, praise God in the sanctuary, praise him in the mighty heavens. There's just something about the psalms. They're awesome, 
and we love them. We love them because they speak into the human experience, but there's also something else they do. They actually express the human experience in words that you and I would probably never come up with. These poetic words cut so deep and they get right to it and they're so emotional and powerful. And I thought that right now, I want us to experience the Psalms, this Psalm together. So I want us to do something that we don't do very often. I want us to just read the first three verses out loud together. Jason, can we do that together? Would you read this with me? Let's do it together. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Oh, so good. The slimy pit, the mud, and the mire. Did you catch that part of it? A slimy pit seems to me that this isn't no ordinary pit. No, this is a scary, stinky, smelly pit with up-to-the-neck water, maybe. And it's soon to be over-the-head water if we're not really careful. Because while we're stuck in this pit and we try our best to fight our way out of this pit, it's all muddy and mucky down there. And the more we struggle, the more deeply we sink and the water sort of rises Have you been there? Have you felt that in your life? The more you struggle, the worse it gets. And you can almost feel that forward movement is impossible. And it's almost like when you're stuck in a pit like this, no movement is possible. You can almost hear the sound of footsteps sloshing around up on the the edge of the pit that you're in. And it feels like death or something scary is up there sloshing around. Have you heard that sound? Have you felt what that feels like? Of course you have. I know you've felt that way. Maybe not right now here in this moment, but you have in the past and you certainly are going to in the future. I know you've heard it in the past because pain, sorrow, confusion, and being stuck in a muck-filled pit are things that we all have in common. Been there, done that. Are you with me? These things are the result of chaos that we don't quite fully understand that gets thrown into this God-ordained world. And we're like, what the, what is happening right now? The slimy pit, the mud, and the mire. I've been in a slimy pit before. Renee and I have been in a slimy pit before together. In fact, as I was thinking about this, here's one slimy pit. And we were actually talking about this back in Christmas. For some reason, we had discussion around the table on that day and it all came flooding back and it almost makes me cry up today. But we were in this slimy pit like 13 hours after Samuel was born. So there we are in the hospital room. We've got our perfect newborn little boy. 
And in comes the nurse that's supposed to take care of us and the pediatric hospitalist. They walk in and I can tell immediately from the look on their faces that they were bringing news that they really didn't want to share, but they were forced to share because it's their job. They tried their best to hide their anxiety, but you can't hide anxiety like this. So we weren't prepared. All of a sudden they started talking about how Samuel's head was just a little smaller than normal. Which is funny now because his head today is bigger than mine. (laughs) Seriously, he wears a hat and it looks ridiculous on me. Anyway, back then, they started telling me and Renee that his head was a little smaller than normal. That his ears seemed to be a little lower than normal on his head. How his eyes were more almond shaped than normal. That he had this fold called an epicanthic fold on the inside of his eye that just wasn't normal. And really, he was just beating around the bush for longer than normal, and I was sick of it. I knew exactly what he was getting at. They thought our son had Down syndrome. And they didn't want to say the word Down syndrome. It was like this big elephant in the room. They kept going on and on and on, and they wouldn't say it. They wouldn't point at the thing that was, they were treating this word, this phrase, Down syndrome, as if it was like a naughty word. It's not a naughty word. It's especially not a naughty word if those words described my own son. No, already at 13 hours old, he was being treated as different, as an outcast, as, as someone who was special. And right there in that moment, and then really for the next few weeks and months afterwards where we didn't know, they came at us with all kinds of things. He might have this thing that fewer than 100 people in the world have ever been diagnosed with called Kabuki syndrome. And we were like, for the next few months in our lives, we were, we were stuck in a mucky bog and it stunk. And all of our dreams for Samuel were stuck in that muck with us, and we did not know what to do. Fortunately, they were right about Samuel. He's not normal. (laughs) He's extraordinary. And none of those things applied. He's just awesome. But for those few months, every day, every hour of every day, that's all we could think of. What's happening with our new boy? We were stuck in the muck, a slimy pit, the mud and the mire. You've been there, haven't you? We all have that in common. When do we get stuck in these slimy pits? Let's just name some things. We could probably be here all day talking about how we get stuck in these things. We get stuck when the doctor walks in and has bad news and can't hide it on his or her face. You can see the anxiety there. We get stuck when we lose someone we love and all the dreams we had in the future are just all of a sudden dashed. We get stuck when a marriage that is supposed to last forever begins to disintegrate. We get stuck when our older brother or sister steals our favorite toy and won't give it back. We get stuck. We get stuck when the firm grip of addiction pulls us under again and again and again, and there ain't nothing we can do about it. We get stuck when our anger 
gets the best of us. We get stuck when we lose a job. We get stuck when we learn something new about how the way the world actually works, and it causes us to question the foundations of what we believe, and that's really hard, right? On and on and on. We get stuck when order turns into chaos, and we don't know what the heck to do. And then when we do get stuck, we just try our best to get through it, try to endure it as best we can. So we all get stuck. We all have that in common. This psalm sort of reflects that back to us, but it also sort of teaches us another thing about this thing that we all have in common, and it actually gives us a way to endure it, gives us a way to sort of make our way when order turns into chaos shows us that the rhythm of all our lives takes us up and it takes us down and it takes us up and it takes us down and it takes us up and it takes us down. And when we get down into that slimy pit, when order turns to chaos, the way we make our way through that is to actually remember, to actually remember our muck-filled pits back then the places we've been before. Because if you're sitting here today, then you've somehow made your way out of those pits. You've somehow made your way out of those and now you're here today. Maybe you felt the hand of God, that great agent of change, pull you up out of that pit and rescue you. Maybe it's now only thinking back to those muck-filled pits of your past that you actually can recognize, oh, that was the presence of the divine that actually pulled me up by the scruff of my neck and set my feet on solid ground. Maybe you've felt that before. You think back on those times and you realize that, oh my goodness, the divine was right there. Maybe that song has been on your lips before that David gives us. Maybe not in these exact words, but maybe something like it. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Remember your bogged down times. That's what David's doing in this psalm. At the very beginning, he's like, I was in a pit and it stunk. And God lifted me out and put me on a solid rock. Remember your slimy pits, those muck-filled, bogged-down holes. Because then you remember how God took you out. And somehow, somehow that's some source of comfort for us. So when we do fall in a pit again, we remember God's done it before. We can be more confident because God's been with us in the past. It's likely he's with us now and more than likely he'll be with us in the future because God never leaves us, right? God is never all that far away. That's what we say. William Frey is an entire is a retired Episcopal bishop. And he tells a story that goes a little bit something like this. When he was a younger guy, uh, he, was, he volunteered to read for a graduate student to, to help him with his studies. Uh, and this person he was helping was blind. And so one day he asked John, how did you lose your sight? And he said, I lost my sight when I was 13, a chemical explosion. And William asked John, well, how did that make you feel? And John said this, life was over. I was helpless. 
For the first six months, I did nothing to improve my lot in life. I would eat all my meals alone in my room, stuck in a bog. Then one day, my father entered my room and he said, John, winter's coming and the storm windows need to be up. That's your job. I want them hung by the time I get back home this evening or else. Then he turned and walked out of the room. He says, I got so angry. I thought, who does he think he, who does he think I am? I'm blind. I got so angry, I decided to do it. So he said he felt his way around the garage and he found the windows. He found the tools and he found the ladder all the while muttering under his breath, I'll show them I will fail. I will fall, and then they'll have a son who's blind and paralyzed. He goes on. I got the windows up and found out later that my father was never at any moment more than four or five feet away from my side. Sometimes it works like that, isn't it? We, we, we walk around in this world not seeing very well, especially not seeing the presence of God. And sometimes things are so rough that we think God is just gone. And then it's only later that we look back and we realize, oh my goodness, God was there all the time and I just didn't see it. So remember, remember your bogged down times. Remember those muck-filled pits Remember them, because when you do, I think you'll discover that God was really there the whole time. When you step into one of those holes again, filled with that up-to-the-neck water, remember your bogged-down times of the past, because you'll remember how God tends to lift you up out of that slimy pit, out of the muck and the mire, and how God set your feet on a solid ground, gave you a firm place to stand. God's been with you in the past. God's with you right now. God will be with you in the future. And that can be a source of comfort for us. That's how we endure our way. That's how we make our way through this world, especially when order turns to chaos. Remember how God acted in the past. But I think the most astonishing thing I think about this psalm is that it sort of teaches us this rhythm This rhythm that David gives us, and I think it's a good, healthy, appropriate rhythm. It's this rhythm that that says praise comes before petition. Praise comes before petition. Did you notice that it wasn't until the end of the psalm that David asked for any kind of help at all? No, he spends the first 10 verses just praising God, remembering what God has done in the past and saying, I praise you for acting this way in the past. And then he moves to this place where he asks for help. So the first half of the whole thing is just praise you, oh God, for how you've acted in the past. And then he says this, now do not withhold your mercy from me, oh Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. Have you felt that way before? And I cannot see. They're more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, and save me. O Lord, come quickly. 
to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire to be my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who, who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. May, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation always say the Lord is exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help. You are my deliverer. Oh my God, don't delay. After he praises God for being with him in the past, that's when he's like, oh God, I need your help. Right here, right now. Friends, this is astonishing for me because whenever I'm stuck in a muck-filled pit, the last thing I want to do is say, you're awesome, God. That's exactly what David does. He sort of lives this God-centered life. He's singing this new song in the middle of a mucky bog. Right? And it seems like living this God-centered life gives us the ability to bring praise from the pit. Not just praise after the pit. We all can do that, but praise, praise while we're there down in that mucky bog. There's an old saying attributed to, a, to an anonymous rabbi, so we have no idea who he is. It goes something like this. I walk, I fall, I get up. I walk, fall, I get up. I walk, fall, I get up. All the while, I keep dancing. Oh, isn't that great? All the while, I keep dancing. Seems like that rabbi figured out how to center God in his life and lived life like that, a life that was able to take hold of a new song that God put in his mouth. Not just take hold of it, but actually to dance to it. Sure, his feet might not have been moving very much, stuck in a bog and all, but inside, dancing. So the next time you get stuck in one of those deep holes filled with up-to-the-neck water, maybe the best thing to do is to begin where David begins. Just wait patiently. Remember. Bring pay, praise from the pit. And if you can't find strength enough to do that all on your own, that's okay too. Because there's a whole community full of people who will do it with you. And in some cases, they'll do it on your behalf. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Uh, thanks for us to, for giving us this, this piece that sort of speaks into our lives, but also expresses sometimes how we're feeling. Gives words where there are no words. That these psalms sort of give voice and allow us to be honest about how sometimes life just plain stinks and it's really hard and we're stuck and we can't move at all. But yet also reminds us that you, oh God, are faithful. You are the one who never lets us down. You are the one who never leads our, leaves our side. You are the one who is with us always. So God, I pray that if 
some of us here in this room are stuck in one of those mucky bogs. I pray, oh God, that you'd be with them in a special way, in a way that they need it. Help them to remember how you've been in the past in their lives and that you'll do it again. And if they can't do that, oh God, help them to reach out to the rest of us. We can help remind them of your faithfulness and we can even be your faithful presence in their lives. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.